If it's your first time here, then it is so good to see you. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm the vicar here. I'm married to Ellie, who's just sat at the front in the mustard yellow top. Um, and this beautiful church family um, is just so precious to us. And we love being part of what God is doing here in Newcastle. And if it's your first time here tonight, as I've said, welcome. We absolutely love having new people here. Um, we're a pretty new church family. As I said, we've only been going for a few months. So it's so good to have some of you along for the adventure for the first time tonight, just to explore what God is doing among us, because we are so excited. And as Brogan said, you are so welcome tonight, regardless of where you're at in terms of church or faith. You're so welcome if you're an atheist, you're from a different religious worldview, you're just checking out who Jesus is, you're interested in church, you got some free pizza on Thursday and thought you'd check out these crazy, crazy people that give away free pizza to students on campus. What Whatever it is, whyever you are here, you are so welcome. If you've got a Bible, there should be some in the pews in front of you. Could you turn to John chapter 4 and we're going to read from verse 5 together. John chapter 4 verse 5. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, But you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? You greater than Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will be a spring of water welling up inside them to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. But Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five and the man that you're now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when we, you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and has now come when the worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then Jesus went, then Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man 
who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Amen. So here we have an amazing encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. In fact, this encounter is quite remarkable. And it may not seem so just on first glance, just on first reading. But let me explain to all of us why I believe that this encounter that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman is so remarkable. There's some little details that the author, um, John, John's the guy who wrote this eyewitness account of Jesus' life, gave us, and they communicate some really important things to us today. Firstly, we know, don't we, that Jesus was Jewish. And more than that, Jesus was a well-respected rabbi, a Jewish teacher. The woman that we meet in our Bible passage tonight is a Samaritan. And Samaritans believed different things to the Jews. They were kind of like different races. They had completely different worldviews. In fact, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Jews and Samaritans hated each other, and John tells us that in verse 9. They disagreed on almost everything, and yet here, Jesus, a Jew, engages a Samaritan in conversation. Jesus is completely breaking down social barriers, which of course is something that we could learn from today. Think about all the division that exists just in our nation at the moment. Think about the events of the last three days and what's happened um, with the EU exiting the European Union. Some of those demonstrations, peaceful protests, all the stuff that was happening on Friday night, some of them turned a little bit nasty. There's so much division. And yet here we see Jesus breaking down barriers. One reason to follow Jesus is that he's so radical like this. We constantly see Jesus doing this throughout the whole narrative of Scripture. Secondly, Jesus is a man and he's talking to a woman. Now, this sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but in Jesus' time, men would never speak to women in public. Never, particularly if they were alone and especially if the woman was single. Now, John makes it really clear that Jesus is alone with this woman Jesus has sent all of his disciples away and Jesus has chose to sit by this well where he knew that this woman would be. So we see yet again Jesus breaking down even more cultural boundaries. This just would not have happened. You would not have found any other Jewish rabbi talking to a woman. You probably wouldn't have found any other man talking to a woman in public. And yet here is Jesus, this well-respected rabbi, talking to this woman, and not just a woman, a Samaritan woman. Thirdly, in verse 6, John makes it clear that it was midday. Now, this is really significant because midday was not the time of the day when you came to draw water from the well. Why? Well, at that time of the day, it would be really, really hot. In the Middle East, the temperatures during the middle of the day at sometimes can be unbearable. Ellie and I were there in January for um, a little holiday just after New Year. And even in January, it's like 25, 26 degrees in the middle of the day. If you get to like the summertime, 
43, 44 degrees in the middle of the day. You do not want to be drawing water at that time. You'd go at the beginning of the day with everybody else. In fact, there'd be a community of people that would all go together to draw water at the beginning of the day. And you go in the morning because you need the water to cook with, to wash up with, to um, wash your clothes with, to drink. All of these different types of things, you'd need them for the whole day. And yet here, this woman is going at midday. She's going at midday because she's a social outcast. Nobody else wants to go with her. As I said, probably all the other women in the village would have gone at once in the morning. And so we conclude from this that no one else would speak to this woman. And yet here is Jesus spending time with the one that nobody else would spend time with. Jesus is breaking down even more barriers. Now, why would John include these little details in his account of Jesus meeting this woman? Well, John includes these details because he wants us to know that the good news of Jesus Christ is for everybody. The good news of Jesus really is for everyone. It's for me And it's for you, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your background, regardless of what it is you've come to church carrying today, the good news of Jesus is for you. One of the most remarkable things about Jesus's ministry in the Gospels, and I believe one of the most remarkable things about Jesus's ministry today, as I've already said, is that Jesus's grace and his love and his forgiveness crosses all boundaries. It's for men and it's for women. It's for young and it's for old. It's for the poor and for the rich. It's for the educated and the uneducated. It's for the popular and the unpopular. The good news of Jesus is even for the person that has been totally shunned by their community. In other words, being in relationship with God through Jesus is not dependent on where you've come from or who you are. Some of you here in church today may feel like you're a little bit of a fraud sat in church. Perhaps it's your first time here, and you don't think that you should be here because you're not good enough, or you're not holy enough, or you're not read enough of the Bible. Well, if being in relationship with Jesus is just about how good we are, about how moral we are, then those of us that are more morally inclined than others would be at an advantage in terms of relationship with God. But it's not about how moral you are. If being in relationship with God was about how academic or how intelligent we are, then some of us would be more, more of an advantage than others, those of us that have been given particular academic gifts. If following God was all about how beautiful we are, then all of you would be an advantage, more of an advantage than me. But it's not about any of these things. None of that matters. What Jesus offers is a gift. And it's free. And it's undeserved. And it is amazing. Amazing. Now, this woman cannot believe it. She cannot believe that Jesus is talking to her. She cannot believe that this well-respected religious teacher has taken time to engage her in conversation. 
We know that from verse 9, don't we? Look at what she says to Jesus. Why are you asking me for a drink? Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, the reality is, for all of us here this afternoon, what Jesus did for this Samaritan woman, he does for everybody that he rescues. Jesus made himself unavoidable to me. He put himself in my way so that I could not ignore him. Now, you might be here tonight because somebody invited you to come along to church, perhaps for the first time. Perhaps you had an invite on campus on Thursday, um, for those of you that are students, for you know an invite to come and try church here at St. Thomas's. Maybe you're here because you felt drawn here. Um, you just were wandering past and you walked in. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you are here, I believe that Jesus is making himself unavoidable to you. I started going to church regularly because my next door neighbor invited me to go. He just came and knocked on my door. This is when I was 11 and said, do you want to come to church? And I went. And it was the best thing I ever did. So John is showing us that the good news of Jesus is for everybody. The other thing that John wants to show us is that the good news of Jesus lasts forever. Now we know this because Jesus says to this Samaritan woman that the life that he offers is like living water. The life that he offers is like living water. Now, water is absolutely vital to our life, isn't it? We need it for everything. We need water to stay alive. We need water to clean. We need water to cook. We need water to get around the planet on. Um, And Jesus is saying that his life is like living water that never, ever runs out. In fact, it's so much like living water. He says to this woman, if you drink the water that I'm offering, then you will never go thirsty again. Now, how can Jesus say this? He can say it because Jesus himself is infinite and eternal. Jesus is God in the flesh. He has always existed. He will always exist. And so if he offers something, it is going to last forever. His love, his grace, his life, his forgiveness will never, ever run out. There is always more with Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the only source of unquenchable love, grace, freedom, and forgiveness. Now, this is really, really good news for all of us this afternoon. It's good news for all of us because most of us live life trying to save ourselves. Even if we don't put it like that, that's what we're doing when we're going around living our lives. We're trying to do it by impressing the people that are around us, trying to make ourselves more popular, thinking that that's going to give us an identity that will last. Or we try and um, give ourselves an identity and find um, freedom in doing well at study or in our career or in particular relationships. Now, if we're drinking that kind of water, that kind of water is not eternal. It's not eternal because we have to constantly summon it up ourselves. You know, if your identity is based on how many likes you get on social media, for example, as soon as you don't get as many likes today as you did yesterday, 
you may feel a little bit deflated. And it's because you're constantly having to summon up the energy and the strength to keep on going and going and going. But Jesus claims that his living water will never, ever run out. Now, this woman likes the sound of this, but she kind of thinks it's a bit too good to be true. And we see why in the next few verses. So in verse 15, the Samaritan woman says to Jesus, go and get me this water so that I will never thirst again. And I'm sure if you'd heard somebody say that, I've got something for you that is so good, it's going to fulfill everything that you've ever dreamed of, you'd want that person to go and get you it as well. And this is what this woman says to Jesus. But then Jesus says the most curious thing to this woman in verse 16. Jesus says to her, go and get your husband. And why did Jesus say to her, go and get your husband? It's kind of rude, isn't it? Here's Jesus and this woman having this conversation about living water. This woman asks Jesus to go and get her living water. And then, this, and then Jesus suddenly seems to be changing the subject and says, go and get your husband. Now, from this moment on, the conversation turns a little awkward. The woman has to say to Jesus, I have no husband. And then Jesus says, you're quite right that you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five. And the man that you live, you're, you're with now is not your husband. Now, this seems like Jesus is taking the whole thing off on a little tangent. But in the next few verses, we see that Jesus really isn't changing the subject at all. And let me show you why. Now, remember, Jesus has been talking about living water and water that will satisfy eternally. Now, the reason that Jesus is not changing the subject at all is because this woman has been looking, looking to quench her thirst but she's been looking in all of the wrong places. She's been looking to be satisfied in relationships. She's been looking for her thirst to be quenched in men. That's the well of water that she has been drinking from. She's gone through one man and it didn't work out. A second, it still wasn't enough. A third, a fourth, and a fifth. She's drinking and she's drinking and she's drinking but it is not satisfying her. Now, we all do this. We're all thirsty. We're all thirsty for life. We're all thirsty for meaning. And so we try and satisfy our thirst with things that will not satisfy, when really only Jesus will satisfy some of us turn to relationships just like this woman. For some of us, it's money. For some, it's career. For some, it's popularity. For some, it's trying to look the best that we can every single day. Some of us are workaholics. Some of us just try and acquire more and more stuff. If we try and satisfy and quench our thirst with these things, then we will never ever have enough. We'll always go back for more. We'll always go back for more and it will never satisfy. You think you'll be all right with 10,000 pounds, you'll get it and you'll want 20. You'll get that and you want 40. You get that and you want 80 and it goes on and on. I was thinking about this yesterday at Alicia's, um, when I was with Alicia having lunch with her yesterday afternoon for her birthday, there was a um, tube of Pringles on the table. 
and I had one. And then I needed a second, and then a third, and then a fourth. Then, and by the time I'd known it, I'd eaten half a tub of Pringles. And that's a little bit like what it's like trying to quench your thirst in things that will not satisfy. Pringles don't fill you up. There's absolutely no nutritional value in a Pringle. Other varieties of those weird disc-shaped crisps are available. But they will never, ever satisfy. Now, this woman's life proves it. As I've said, she's gone through five husbands. And the man that she's with now is not her husband. This is the real reason why she has to come and draw water from the well in the middle of the day rather than everybody else in the morning. Everybody in the village was talking about her. Everybody in the village was gossiping about her, laughing at her, all of these kinds of things. She would have been totally judged for the way that she was living her life. And the reality is that the way that she was living her life was completely destroying her. It was completely eating her up. Now, all of these things that we worship in the place of Jesus, all of these things that we look to to quench our thirst instead of Jesus, will eventually consume us. Now, it's not just Christians that say this. David Foster Wallace was a top American writer. He was a best-selling author and a novelist, um, and he actually sadly committed suicide not long before he gave this um, a speech to a group of graduating students at a university that he got invited to speak at the graduation ceremony at. And in this gradu graduation ceremony, he said this to this group of students that had gathered. Everybody worships. This is an atheist speaking. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will um, need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, it is that they're unconscious. They are the default settings. Every body worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. We all worship something. And according to both Jesus and this atheist novelist, David Foster Wallace, whatever we worship will consume us. However, Jesus claims that if we worship him, we won't be consumed, but we will be eternally satisfied. How? Well, because the life that Jesus offers is not earned. As I've said, it's, Christians believe that the life that Jesus offers is a gift. It's a free gift. 
And it isn't about how attractive or clever or smart you are. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about where you were born. You don't have to drum up your own identity. Jesus offers all of us tonight a gift. Now, I want us just for a moment, just to imagine how this woman feels. At this moment, she knows that Jesus knows every single thing about her. In this one moment, this woman knows that Jesus knows that she has a past. In this one moment, she knows that Jesus knows that she's a social outcast, that nobody likes her, that she's just, she probably thinks that she's couldn't ever be loved ever, ever again. And she knows that Jesus knows all of this about her, and yet he still is offering her a drink. He still says to her, you can have my living water too. Imagine how she must have felt. Nobody has spoken to her like this before. Nobody has offered her this kind of stuff before. This grace and this love and this forgiveness and this life that Jesus is offering, she must have thought was totally, totally impossible. So if you're here in church today and you think, if only God knew what I had done. Or if you're here in church today and you think, well, if only these holy Christian people, which were not, by the way, but if only they knew what I'd done, nobody would want to know me. Well, if you are thinking that, then can I just encourage you to just have a look at this woman? Jesus is God. He knew every single thing about her. And he loved her anyway. God knows every single thing there is to know about you. He knows you better than your parents, your partner, your spouse. He knows you better than your best friend. He knows you better than you even know yourself. And he loves you anyway. In fact, the Bible says that he even knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything. Well, this is getting all a little bit too much for the Samaritan woman. She's quite overwhelmed. And so she tries to deflect the conversation onto something else. And we see that in verse 17. She tries to move the conversation away from her and onto where the right place is to worship and how. And um, Jews and Samaritans have been doing this for a very long time, arguing about where the right place was to worship. So she's basically just trying to deflect off herself and onto something else. Perhaps she's afraid that Jesus would change his mind and say, actually, um, this living water isn't for you because of the way that you are living your life. Now, despite the fact that she tries to change the conversation, Jesus is so gracious and engages her in this conversation about where to worship in Jerusalem or Samaria and in what kind of temple. And in having this conversation with her, he reveals even more to her who she truly is. Look at what Jesus says to him, verse 23, for those of you with your Bibles open. The hour is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says the hour is coming? Well, Jesus talks about his hour a lot in the Gospels. In fact, he says at the very beginning of John's Gospel, very truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear my voice and those who hear will live. 
Just a few verses later, do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming. In verse 12, the hour, in chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. A few verses later, shall I be saved for this hour? No, for, it's for this reason that I have come to the earth for this hour. So Jesus spends a lot of time talking about this hour. Now, what is this hour that Jesus is talking about? When Jesus talks about his hour or this hour in the Gospels, he's talking about his death. And Jesus' death will make all temples obsolete. You don't have to worship in Jerusalem or Samaria anymore. Your body becomes a temple of worship. God will come and live in you. Jesus' sacrifice, there's no good Jews and Samaritans debating sacrifices because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is going to make all sacrifices obsolete. It's going to make them useless. Jesus dies on the cross so that we can die to our old selves and rise to new life with him forever. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have eternal life springing out of us all of the time. Now, the really interesting thing about this, I think, is that when Jesus's hour had come and he was hanging on a cross, do you know what it is that he cried? His words that came out of his mouth when he was on the cross were this, I first. John chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus didn't just say, I first, because he was on the cross dying. He said, I first, because he was experiencing unquenched thirst for the first time in his life. And Jesus had never, ever experienced this before. Jesus was cut off from the source of living water. But he cried on the cross, I first, so that I don't have to cry that anymore. Jesus cried out on the cross, I first, so that this woman doesn't have to cry that anymore. Jesus cried out on the cross, I first, so that we can cry in Jesus' grace and his love and his forgiveness, I am satisfied eternally and forever. And it's at this moment that this woman begins to see who Jesus is. It's at this moment that she begins to see that Jesus really might be the Messiah And Jesus says to her, doesn't he, towards the end of our reading, I am the Messiah. Now, at this moment, just as the conversation's got really deep, there's this awkward moment where the disciples return. And they're surprised to see Jesus talking to a woman, but they kind of catch the social cues and they don't say anything to Jesus, even though John tells us that they wanted to. And what I find quite amazing about this is that Jesus has just had this most profound encounter with this woman and the disciples have missed it all. Now, what I don't want for any of us is to miss the truth and the beauty and the grace that's happening and that we can be invited into and drawn into through Jesus, Jesus' encounter with this Samaritan woman. In fact, one theologian wrote this about the disciples. The Samaritan woman grasped grasped what Jesus said with fervor that came from an awareness of her real need. The transaction was fascinating. She's come with a bucket. He sent her back with a spring of living water. She had come as a reject. He sent her back being accepted by God himself. She came wounded. He sent her back whole. She came laden with questions. He sent her back as a source for answers. She came living a life of quiet desperation. She ran back, overflowing with hope, and the disciples missed it all. It was lunchtime for them.
don't miss out on what Jesus has for you. All of us are looking to satisfy ourselves somewhere. And we believe that it's only in Jesus that we can be truly and eternally satisfied. Now just look at the last two verses um, that I read out to us um, with me. This woman runs back to the village where she's despised and where she's gossiped about. And she runs back to these people that probably hate her. And she shouts, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Now, we know that this woman had her place in society restored because lots of people in her village follow her back to Jesus and they end up believing in Jesus too. In fact, she became something of a leader in her little community. Her life is totally and utterly and radically transformed. I bet from that day forward, she walked with her head held high, knowing that despite everything that she'd done that made her count herself out, she walked around knowing that she was so loved by the king of the universe. She was so loved by God himself. And you know, the same can be true for all of us. God sees to the very depths of who we are. He sees it all. And he loves us anyway. And you can know this too. You can know this radical love, this grace, this forgiveness that can only come from Jesus. Now notice in the very last verse that I read to us, verse 28, verse 29, sorry, sorry, verse 28. John says, then this woman left her water jar and went back to the town and said to people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She went to this well for water and yet she leaves leaving a water jar by the side of the well. Why? Because Jesus had offered her something so much better. She went looking for one thing. She wasn't expecting to meet Jesus this day. She was expecting just to get some, I don't know, some kind of water out of this well. And she left with water that changed her life. Now, just as the um, band come and join me, some of us are carrying around um, jugs of water that we don't need to be carrying. And the invitation today is that we can leave them here in church. Some of us are trying to find our meaning in relationships, in money, in all kinds of things that are eventually going to hurt us. We can leave them here today and take away living water that I promise will eternally satisfy So I don't know why it is that you're here tonight. I don't know if you've come along of your own free will, if a housemate's dragged you, kicking and screaming, if you're just checking out who Jesus is. I don't know if you've counted yourself out. I don't know if you think that you are so unlovable that God could never love you. 
I don't know if you feel like if only God knew what I'd done. God sees who you are. He loves you. And he's offering you the most amazing gift. And you can receive it today. Can I invite us to stand?